This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Chris Cartrett, Executive Vice President at Adirant, a global industry leader in providing comprehensive business management software for law firms and other professional service organizations. Chris is responsible for both strategy and growth at Adirant and has worked in the legal industry for more than 20 years. In this interview, Chris talks about adding value through thought leadership, the unique challenges of marketing in the professional services industry, sales marketing alignment, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Chris, how's it going? Things are going really well, Ian. How are you? It's a brilliant day here. Um, and this is going to be an exciting episode because, uh, number one, we have not had anyone talking about law in any capacity on the show other than a few recovering lawyers uh, that uh, that have switched into marketing. Um, and number two, it's always fun to talk to someone who is on the cutting edge of marketing and sales together, which I think is really fun. So really excited to to get into all things Adirant, what you're working on in your background. But first, how'd you get involved uh, with Adirant in the first place? You know, I spent uh, many years working for a, a large publisher in the legal space. I, I really kind of out of college got into sales of different legal materials back to law firms. Um, and so we had a great career, had a great time working for one of the major publishers. But then as I've few years ago, realized that there was a opportunity within Adirant specifically, but within a time and billing software company, there was a lot of change kind of taking place inside the legal market. And so I was very fortunate to uh, be brought in uh, at Adirant first to kind of run and establish the sales and client experience uh, team. And then from there, the roles just kind of grown from there. And it's been a, been a fantastic experience. We're in Atlanta and uh, that's where my wife is from. So being where your wife is from is a good thing. That is, that's a great point. I uh, I spent some time in the military in in the South and in Georgia, and frequented Atlanta many a time, and it's a it's a great place. The ATL is a very good place. So you know specifically, and we've had a few sales leaders on the show before to talk about kind of sales marketing alignment. In your position, you're kind of in both roles. How do you view sales and marketing specifically working together? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so in my current role, I actually have strategy and growth. And then in growth, it's sales, client experience, and marketing. And the way this whole thing really kind of came about, to be honest with you, I've been very fortunate or blessed or whatever you want to say throughout my career to work with really sharp, intelligent CMOs and other marketers. And one of the challenges that we had at Adirant when I joined was where we had great leaders of marketing 
and they did a fantastic job of helping build a brand right inside our kind of niche market. But what, where we struggled from time to time is that we would kind of get, we would kind of start separating. In other words, the sales teams, uh, product management, other groups might start moving down a certain path. And unfortunately, um, and it was no fault of the of necessarily the marketers. It was oftentimes our fault as executives. They were still kind of marching to a drum beat that they had already created. And so one of our goals a few years ago was that, listen, we have to be a little bit more aligned. Um, you know, we're not a company with you know massive spend across a lot of other areas. And so we need to take advantage of our dollars wisely. And so by me taking over the marketing part, the goal was let's let marketing have a greater impact just with where we know we're going with our strategy. But that way then the day-to-day, the pure blocking and tackling that takes place in any business on a regular basis, um, that we knew that that would be more aligned with what we're doing in the field. And I'd love to learn more about Adoran, what's your what you're working on and how you, how you help and the legal software that you're, that you're working with. Yeah. So let's do that. So, so if you look at Adderant, first off, just as a business unit, we're market leading in three of our kind of four main product lines with the fourth product line being something that we've just kind of moved into. So first off, we're mainly a time and billing software. That's what people inside the legal community usually know us for our time and billing software is known as expert. Second, we have a major software play in the knowledge management space uh, with a product called Handshake. Third, we're the number one really kind of across the market, mainly a North American product um, for calendaring and docketing called CompuLaw. And then we've moved recently into another space, which is more cloud-based, but it's handling some of the e-billing challenges that law firms have working with their corporate counsel. What are the types of of law firms that you're working with? Is it is it large firms? Is it mid-market? Yeah, so we, we center mainly on large and mid. And, and that's very important to understanding kind of our approach when we get into the marketing conversation is we're dealing with the top law firms really across the globe, wherever it may be. And we have offices, obviously, all over Europe um, in Asia uh, and then across here in the U.S. And uh, so we're really centered on those top-tier firms to middle-sized law firms. So where you would probably think, thinking that maybe 25 to 30 lawyer firm and up. And and this is, you know, one of the reasons why we were really excited to talk. I think it's such a unique challenge where ultimately it's, you know, a number of the marketers that listen to the show are familiar with, which is we have X number of named accounts that we are going after and we have a hyper-targeted way that we want to talk to people and therefore, you know, our activities, our marketing activities need to speak to those people. So how do we speak to that, that number of people? We're not trying to reach, you know, 7 million people every single day. We're trying to reach these target accounts. How do you look at marketing to those people and adding value, um, you know, to them ultimately through whether it's content or education or, or events oh, or no, what no, have that's you? Perfect. So, um, cause I'll, uh, let me, if it's okay with you, I'll tell you a little history that kind of helped define my approach and then what we're actually doing here at Adirond, if that's okay. So yeah, in absolutely. my previous role, I ran kind of the large and medium sales and account management group for a very, very, very large company. 
like one of the really, really massive publishers. And in that role, one of the things that they did, because I thought they did a phenomenal job, that the whole organization, massive company, right, $15 billion company, did an incredible job of marketing and creating great brand awareness, really kind of tying um, the personality that you want your brand to carry. But one of the challenges that we had is even though we were a number one player, if you look at the individual, think about your salespeople, the people that are walking in front of these clients. When you're dealing with a kind of a set market, you're talking to them over and over and over again. So when that happens, obviously, that's a, that can be a challenge, right? So you're going in, you're having the same conversation with somebody time and time again. And so really the challenge becomes why would they want to meet with you, right? What yeah. value do you bring to the table coming in the door besides letting them know the latest thing in your roadmap or the latest thing that's going on with, the, with an individual product? And so I actually had um, a marketing person, it was actually three of them, and we were set up in the standpoint that my office was literally right beside their office so that we could constantly talk about, look, We've got to come up with ways to add value to our clients that they then want to see us, meaning that they desire to have us come in the door, not because we're trying to take money out of their pockets, but because we actually bring value to the role or the position that they play inside the firm. And so in working with my colleagues there, we started developing more centered kind of we'll just deal with it as content marketing, but then also by way of presentation or think executive level presentation that you would present inside of a professional services or inside a, you know, a, a firm. And the goal being that you bring content to the table that's going to make them better at their job, helping them, helping them really kind of solve problems that they're all being challenged with, or maybe it's help them understand things about their market that they too are struggling with and really never talk about your product. And so as we did that more and more, we started noticing that people wanted us in the door. Yeah. Every salesperson who you will ever talk to will tell you, if you can get me in the door, good things will happen. I love that. Oh, listen, it was, I cannot begin to tell you how eye-opening it was. And I will also say this to the, the CMOs that listen here, because I am, I will always be a salesperson at heart, uh, no matter what my title may say. But it was like pulling teeth for a lot of my salespeople to really adjust their conversation to having one that was more, for lack of a better term, thought leadership focused versus something that was ultimately going to lead them to a deal. And by changing this, though, as we slowly got there, people started understanding that the thought leadership is what caused the deal. Instead of you trying to sell something, you just happened to be there when they decided to buy and so it, it really did. It had, a, it had an enormous impact on me. It worked. We had great success. And so then when I came to Adderant, that really became kind of the focus of our marketing department and our marketing efforts. Well, I mean, I think the best salespeople are the people who the actual purchase decision, when it gets to the time to sign the dotted line, it's almost the effortless part of the deal, right? It's like, You've done so much work to get to that point to make sure that you're solving the needs of the customer, that that part is, is not a huge, you know, milestone. Although, you know, on a, on paper, it's a huge milestone, but the person doesn't feel like 
you know, that they just, uh, you know, signed their life away. And I think that that's, you know, that's the big difference between, you know, value added selling uh, and ultimately value added marketing. And I think a lot of times in the past, marketing was teeing up conversations to get to, you know, the sales rep so that they can explain it. And now marketing can shape the conversation so that that person is empowered that when they do talk to the sales rep, that salesperson is consultative and helping them solve the things that they need to to help with. You know, I always think about positioning your salespeople as the person you want to get on the phone with. Like, it's like, hey, I have a problem. I know the I know the person who can help me solve this. You know, it's it's Jill, you know, at Adirant. That that's the that's where you want to be. So how can marketing, you know, accelerate you know those things to be front of mind? Yeah, I'll give you a great example there. We when I came in to this role, Adderant has always been recognized as one of the leaders really kind of within our space. But one of the challenges for us though is that when it really got to the significant complex challenges that many firms were facing, um, some of the competitors had really kind of defined the market, meaning they had defined what you would buy, how you would buy, you know, what mattered and what didn't matter. And so we knew to be successful that we really needed to start shifting that to something where we really felt like the space was wanting to go, where we felt like firms wanted to go. And we really started doing that through content marketing. I mean, um, we created different thought leadership pieces. We started law firms, especially you put out a survey that's talking about their peers. They consume that data like it's, you know, milk chocolate, like give me as much as I can get. Right. Absolutely. So the more we did that, it actually helped start shaping really the space that we were the most targeted in to start to see the world the way we wanted them to see the world. And then one of our real core goals though, was We wanted the marketing message to be what really kind of causes you to think about your challenges in a different way, but then the sales message would kind of play off of that. So in other words, the idea was that that would then complete the message into how we could actually help you achieve that today. So it was something that people felt very, um, I would say less threatened to consume our marketing content because it really was about helping them be better in their jobs, learn about their space, know about what's going on. And then when the salesperson came in, you're just kind of continuing that conversation, which, um, you know, knock on wood has played really well thus far. Yeah. And what types of content are, were you, or is your team creating? What are the things, you know, are you doing, uh, webinars? Are you doing, uh, I know you have an in-person event momentum. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's our big, massive client event that we have each year. You know, that's a major time for our customers to come together really with each other, but also we bring in our people from all over the place um, in for the simple purposes of, hey, learning about what we're doing, learning from each other, learning about products themselves. And, And even in that large event, we created a track a few years ago that was just one on thought leadership where people could get together and share and talk about challenges that they're having and, and learn from their peers. And you have a track designed for the CIOs or one for the CFOs or whatever else it may be. It's really served us well, but, but all of this has come off the, this general idea, right? Of thought leadership. And it is in webinars. We have something we refer to as think tank. That's kind of our regular ongoing, I guess you could refer to it as a blog 
although I, I would consider that a one-way blog. But then there's a lot of other, you know, from white papers to things on those lines. And the reason that we've really, we've, <laughs> we've honestly, we've tried to hit everything, if you think of content marketing, is the people that we're selling to, our consumers, I guess you would say, all consume data very differently. So there are certain ones out there that where they just eat up a survey or a checklist or something along those lines. And then there's others that, boy, give them a well thought out article and that is just gold and they'll forward it all over their, their office. And then there are others who, you know, they love to go grab their lunch and sit down and attend a webinar. So, um, so really we've tried to offer content in, in many different ways. Um, and we don't necessarily do the same content. We try to treat them a little bit different so we can, you know, obviously try to reach that audience a little bit different. But then again, it's it serviced very well. Yeah, I mean, you know, that right place, right time sort of scenario, I think is like we always focus on like, well, how do we get in front of the buyer at the right place, right time? What's, you know, right place, right time really means is on their schedule, right? How do we help them find something on their schedule that adds value? I'm curious about legal specifically, because I would imagine, and this is an assumption that I don't know if this is true, that the legal community and technology, they might not have been the quickest to, to adopt to technology, or am I wrong there? No, actually, you're, you're well, it's funny you say that. So it's, it's a little bit of both. A great lawyer is not somebody who you really want changing on a regular basis, right? Their whole goal is to limit risk and everything else. But at the same time, and so that's what causes them challenges sometimes, right, as it relates to adopting the latest and greatest. But, you know, I say all that when the reality is, you know, access to online information in the legal community has been around, you know, it was private database stuff, but we we're still talking, what, mid-90s? Before, yeah. Really before the internet was, you know, booming. So, so they've always kind of done things. I would never say that you would look to legal as being that which was truly cutting edge. And that's really where our challenge is, is people like in our case, think about a financial system, which is, you know, a massive multi-million dollar uh, investment that a firm is making. What's well, very easy to say, I need to get out of this financial system over to this other financial system. And that in itself being the features and things that we provide to the finance team is what they're really after. Whereas our goal at Adderant was, hey, these are big decisions. If you're going to make a big decision, why don't we make it a big decision? Let's look at how we impact the entire firm, right? Like how can we serve our clients once we've gone through all this work and things that have to happen. And so by trying to shape the conversation in the direction that personally we felt was more appropriate for the market, that's kind of been what's led to our success. And really that's what, what our marketing team really wakes up in the morning, their feet hit the ground and they're constantly thinking about how they can help shape that idea and those thoughts um, within our marketplace. How is the buying process at law firms? I, you know, I, I don't know enough about how they're, you know, structured internally. I mean, is it similar to a, you know, a, a traditional corporation with a, you know, CEO, CFO, CMO, all of that stuff? Or, or is that, is that purchasing decision 
have different titles and structure you know, than a, than a regular? Uh, I would say it's consistent. I would say it's consistent with most businesses. The one thing that I would tell you that's a little bit different is if you think across most law firms, that the whole general idea of partners, right, is that spend is coming out of every one of their pockets, whatever it may be. And that is something that is very different in the legal space compared to some other markets that you may deal with. Yes, you're dealing with a executive directors and CFOs and sometimes procurement and other groups, but in almost every situation, you're, you're dealing with partners who are very invested in what their firm is doing and they understand a bad decision is literally taking money out of the pocket of the other partners right inside that firm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, because that's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate stakeholder. I mean, you know, you could, you could argue that similar stakeholders, you know, large shareholders or board members or what have you for a massive purchasing decision for a big company, you know, something like an HR software or communication software or, you know, those, those type of decisions that are going to affect the entire company. But that's a really interesting, the idea of like, if that money doesn't, isn't invested back in the company, it goes back into, you know, the pockets of the partners is, is a pretty different, I would say. It's a pretty different scenario. It is. And now, now think about that with what I said earlier. That's why a approach around thought leadership was so important to us. Because a, a lawyer wakes up in the morning and their last thing on earth they're thinking about, number one, is ever meeting with a salesperson. Yeah. Number two, they're not thinking about their calendaring system or their time and, you know, time and billing. They're, they're not, those things are not on their mind. And in their view, it's just, that's just like a necessary evil to get the bill out off to their client. Well, our goal had to be as a business is we need them to understand that, hey, there is a better way of serving that client that's better for both parties, meaning more efficient, more profitable for the law firm, but much more efficient and a better experience for their client. And so trying to reach them, and, and that's where a lot of our kind of, you know, marketing focus is, is helping educate them on how these changes and new things going on within billing or whatever the, you know, the, the group may be can really have a positive impact on their business. And ultimately you're not taking money out of your pocket. You know, you're investing in something that's going to pay dividends as you move down the road. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that that shift is going to be, you know, the new normal. And I'll use an example that is, that is much less serious. You know, my, my dentist has an extremely good digital team, for lack of a better term. Like their scheduling is really good. It sends reminders. It sends like proactive things. They're like going to give you up-to-date stuff. Those are going to be the expectations in the future. And I think that as the tech first generations get older, if your company isn't positioned with seamless customer experience, then you're going to lose out on big accounts. You're going to lose out on clients. And I think that sometimes, you know, you have partners, for example, or folks that they're not going to experience the billing side of the business ever, but it's a huge pain to their clients to have to deal with billing. Like that's a huge pain point for those folks. And it just might, might be a pain point that they don't know. Have you found any insights of like, why clients would leave a law firm that might not be as obvious? 
Well, yeah, so that's that's one of the big trends that was kind of happening inside our legal space. And that was one where GCs, who are typically the clients of the firms, right, were really starting to push back on the firms just for how they were working with them, right? Everybody wants a discount. And so their way of justifying a discount was limiting the things that you could bill or limiting the way you were able to bill things to a firm. And, and the point is, it's just complexity. Every one of us, no matter what our space is, our clients are, are, are buying in a more complex way. And that creates yeah. challenges back, especially in this case, it creates challenges for the law firm. So our goal and our marketing team goal was, hey, this complexity that they're creating is not going away. How can we capitalize on that? How do we turn that into something that, you know, we can all of a sudden make a positive that helps our firms serve their clients better than somebody who may not be? And, and I think where, where it really kind of happened and what I've, I've heard this from some of the other people that you guys have talked to really just over the past few weeks even is like in, in, our, in our world, I think we all get nervous about giving away the secret sauce, right? By accident, yep. you know, through a marketing piece or through a sales pitch or whatever it may be, right? Something that we, if we're not controlling it, right? And, I, and what I'm personally have come to appreciate is I need to do everything I can to define a plate that that secret sauce becomes even more special. Meaning yeah. what I do and what makes our company great is something that these prospects or these clients are just dying to have. And so to do that, I have to do a really good job of kind of stoking the marketplace of where we think the challenges are, where we think the problems are, and really kind of calling it out when we see it and, and try to bring other third-party experts in with us so that we start to create groundswells that, boy, this is a real challenge that we're all facing. Oh, woe is me. What are we going to do? And then that being what sets the stage for us, hopefully, to grow our business answering those challenges. You know, we we recently had on, and this this episode should should probably have aired by this time, but Camille Ricketts, who um, who built the content library at, uh, at First Round Capital. And what was really interesting, one of the insights that she shared was, so VCs traditionally just never did content. That was not something that like venture firms really ever did, even though they're kind of sitting on a gold mine of content because they have a lot of smart people and a lot of companies coming through. One of the things that she said was the most productive content that they had was around productivity and around founders and and VCs figuring out ways to be more productive with their days. And I think it's like kind of that elemental thing of at the end of the day, no matter who you are, whether you're, you know, a lawyer or whether you're an executive or, you know, whatever, you want to be productive. You want to be more productive. And so if you're constantly the place that is thinking of new ways to save people time, that ultimately saves them money uh, and time is the most precious resource. And I think that the positioning that they did really well at first round was just about like, we are constantly thinking about ways to improve your business and save you time. And that's what this, you know, this entire content library has been about. And it seems like, you know, for lawyers, you know, helping them remove friction of the things that they hate to do is a very advantageous place to be. Oh, I would completely agree. Hey, listen, the whole reason 
that many of us who are listening to this right now, that the reason that we listen to your podcast is there's always a nugget and I'm always looking for something to help me be better, smarter, an idea, something I've not thought about that way before. And I think everybody's that way. And so, you know, with our view and trying to work with lawyers, their finance teams, their marketing teams, um, their technology teams, if we can introduce a, a thought or an idea, something that like, you know, you've nailed it when they're like, Hey, can I get some of the underlying data that you're using? Or, Hey, yeah. can, I, can I see this other part of this? Then, you know, you've got somebody now who, who you're welcome in their doors anytime. And, and, and I would also add, you know, so many of us, we, we all have a large portion of our business, right? All of us that come from existing customers. Those existing customer relationships are just absolutely worth their weight in gold. And it is just incredibly important in my view for our business to help those people who are investing money back into our business, help them be better at their job. And if there's content that I can provide them that in some way, form or fashion makes them look better to their boss, man, they're going to want me coming in that door every day. Yeah, absolutely. Do you do any type of like gated content or like community only or customer only content or is a lot of the stuff that you're sharing on the think tank on, on the website? Actually, I would argue that some of the larger portions of our content is very much only for existing customers. Those things though tend to move more into the how to with the actual products itself. Yeah. So, cause we try to be more generic. I mean, in our space, obviously, I mean, we probably have a hand in 90% of the firms, right? That are in our target market in some way. Now we may have a very small piece of the business versus some where we have a much larger stake, but we, we do produce content though, that is very customer specific, or I should say for existing customers specific that is gated, but then, you know, the vast majority of that though is outside. I think it's interesting to see you know, some of those things that, you know, I think sometimes people save their best content for, you know, like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is a value add for our customers. But ultimately, like that feeling of exclusivity of like, wow, I can't believe you got it. The person who's trying to make the decision of whether or not they want to work with you based off of the total experience that they have, there, there's no way for them to predict what it's going to feel like, right? Once, once they're a customer. And I think that that's one of the hard things with, with gated content that's like truly gated for like customer, customer only, where it's more about, like you said, people want to know what their peers are doing. Uh, they want to know how they're using the product. They want to use those things so that they can get the most out of their investment. But before they buy, they want to know what their peers are doing just in general to solve these problems. So I, I like that approach. That's exactly right. Hey, I will add one thing to that though. Uh, above and beyond. One of the challenges though that we're facing today is that with GDPR and some of the other really kind of, uh, you know, I guess what we would call it data regulations that we're all starting to see pop up um, in different places. You know, that creates challenges for, uh, for my marketing team, especially in how we're able to get the content directly to the people that we think would have the biggest impact. And so those are some of our biggest struggles that we're dealing with today. You know, the approach has worked, has been successful. 
but we're constantly having to refine, um, test, do new things because, you know, take GDPR specifically, you know, I'm not able to target people in some firms or in some businesses um, across Europe today the way maybe I could have in the past. And oftentimes that was content that they thoroughly enjoyed. But now, you know, unless I can get a hold of them in another way, uh, that, that creates a challenge for how you deliver um, the information that you have. So, so it's, it's a ever-changing place as well. So, and by the way, if anybody listening to this has any great ideas, you can find me on LinkedIn and send me um, any, any solutions that you have there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll link up uh, all your stuff in, in the show notes. I want to get into some of the campaign-specific stuff. You know, do you have, over the course of your career, a, a favorite campaign that you've done? Well, I mean, there have actually been several. So uh, in, in what way, uh, it's funny, we literally were having a campaign meeting this morning. So, so in what, what way are you, are you thinking here? Oh, just, you know, I mean, what, whatever, just something that you particularly thought was fun or worked really well or drove a type of result that you didn't expect or something like that. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually really good. I, 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 um, I'll tell you one of the things, just because it's just fresh in my mind, because we were talking about it this morning. You know, our kind of approach, especially when it relates to campaigns and, and something that we're, I'm really trying to push some of the new people that we've brought in. We, we like to kind of view ourselves as a company that makes analytical decisions at all times, right? We want numbers. We want numbers to really kind of reinforce what we're doing is the right thing. And, and with that said, real fast, I'll get back to the campaign story for a second. For any young marketers that are listening, hey, just remember it's okay to do something and not get the numbers that you thought because you learn. Way too many people that we brought in feel like they have to hit a home run every time. And, and maybe they don't try to measure some of the things that I wish they would measure because they are afraid they're not going to see the result that they were hoping they would get. But, um, but back to the campaign piece itself, we, um, as we've been trying, as we look out on our five-year strategy of what we're doing, we have campaigns that are more specific to things that we think will impact our bottom line this year. But then we have campaigns that really are trying to test the marketplace to understand stuff that may be important to them without getting into all the great detail of this, you know, we had a few things that we were doing last year, really, I'm sorry, about a year and a half ago now, um, but we were really just trying to learn kind of the attention of our client base for a certain subject. And what we started noticing was those would be the things that if we did a webinar would just be absolutely packed. Like we would overload what we could manage inside the system. If we put that content out, it would be the content that would end up driving people back into our site, consuming a thousand other things, whatever it may be, right? If we spoke at a symposium or at a webinar or whatever, you would then get this larger group. And so we started noticing that, hey, this is real. Like this is something that our clients are really being challenged with. From there, that led us into um, bringing a small group of clients together to kind of test what we were thinking. And then that then in turn led us to make, a, you know, a pretty decent acquisition um, that happened after that. So we have really tried to leverage our campaigns across a lot of things. And that's been one of the things that I've got to enjoy in my role 
is when you do have strategy and growth together, it's not just marketing as it relates to how it represents Adderant in the marketplace. It's not just marketing in the way that it helps us kind of grow our business, you know, quarter over quarter, year over year, whatever it may be. I mean, we've been able to use marketing in a way that I really think has helped us establish our business for who will be in the next three, four, five, ten years out. Uh, and that's really exciting. I love that. That's great. What about uh, what about a campaign that what was one of those failures? What's one of the things that uh, that one of those young marketers came in and uh, did not hit, hit out of the park? Well, or, uh, or the- what happens um, just to just do it in a broad sense. One of the challenges that you have is people just want to sling content like that's yep. That's one of the challenges that we have because people know, well, this is working. So let's just produce more of this. Yes. We'll throw a bunch of things out there. And, and you, can, you can be fooled into thinking, wow, this was awesome. Look at, all the, uh, look at all the clicks. Look at all the views. Look at the, I am one of those who's, if my head of marketing was sitting in here right now, he would tell you I, uh, I tend to challenge every lead that they produce. I always get nervous in a space like ours. If you show me we got 150 leads, you're wrong. Like there's no, there's not 150 people out there who literally are even capable of a buying decision in, in a space when you're, when you're kind of as focused as we are. So what I've tried to push them to understand is it's not about slinging content to generate numbers. Hey, there are four people out there who are going to do something. Who are those four? I think this is a really important distinction. You know, we, I, I've told the story before multiple times on, on this podcast about how uh, we, we did an article one time that was a 63 minute read and, uh, nine people finished it all the way through. And, uh, it was one of these things where it was a massive learning, you know, thing, because we're like, you know, some people might think that that's, you know, if you're the person who wants the viral, uh, we had the Harmon brothers, uh, Benton Crane on and, and he, you know, talking about, you know, squatty potty and a hundred million views and all that sort of stuff, uh, which is, which was really good for, for squatty potty. But, um, for us and looking at, you know, if you have the nine right people read a 63 minute article, like that's a slam dunk win and it's really important. Right. So to take the, to take a step back from that, right. If that campaign had had 150, you know, leads come from it, that might not be a win. And I think that that's an important, an important distinction that I'd love for you to expand on of like, why isn't that a win? to get 150 leads in your line of work for a particular piece of content? Well, I think it's good. You know, the 150 is wonderful for my marketing person to know that that we have them in our space. We break them up by product versus by the different market segments, right? So, you you know, potato, potato, right? So even though that they're divine by product, sometimes it's nice for them to know that they've got that kind of audience or they've got that kind of following that what they did was, valued by the masses. But what we try to help them understand is that when it's all said and done, when this comes to an end, we're, we're not a church, meaning that we're not a nonprofit organization. Our job is to make money. And to make money, we need to find those people out there that are really interested in this in the point that they want to spend money. And so I, I say that, and I know that sounds very salesy, in, in the comment of it. But the reality is I need you to help direct us 
where the best place is to spend our efforts. Like I don't want to have to go hire a zillion salespeople to knock on doors. I want marketing to point me, this is where your best chance is. Here's your opportunity to expand on this conversation and really create relationship that ultimately will turn into business. And that's what's happened. When we get the big 150s or the 250s or the 4,000s or whatever it is, types of uh, return, those are very difficult for us as a business sometimes to wade through and really find the diamonds. When they do very focused, very specific, very topical or to the right audience, like really audience, 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 I should say, really focused on that, um, you know, that right persona. Now we're able to take it further, right? When, when it, when the campaign moves to the stage where the marketer is now delivering more direct content to individuals, right? To, to the people who have participated, you know, through the early stages. Now we're able to be very focused in what we're doing and that slowly kind of softens the beachhead so that when we do send a salesperson in or whether it's somebody who's directing uh, to them in our uh, inside sales, that, hey, this is just a continuation of that story and of that message that marketing has been taking them through, you know, for the last few months. And that tends to lead the business and it tends to us being a more effective and efficient sales and marketing organization and how we're serving our clients. I'm curious how you how you do kind of the lead scoring, like the MQLs, SQLs, like, you know, based off the fact that you, you, you oversee both sides of, uh, of sales and marketing, how do you, how do you break the ownership of the lead scoring? So we actually, and, and the truth is I probably will speak less of this than probably my head of sales enablement and my head of marketing together. We just recently changed how we manage our lead process so we could do a little bit more. We were learning a little bit about our campaigns. We needed to know more specific analytics of where people were engaging. So we've changed everything now to where every lead that comes through, we have two or three different people who basically are taking the leads themselves, assigning them out. We do have a one level that really kind of reviews a lead and maybe it's another touch point, right? That happens. Maybe it's a follow-up piece of content. It could be something else, right? That keeps them engaged or cause I said, you know, we're very much in a, you know, it's, it's a niche market, right? You know who these people are that we can leverage our field resources to be somebody to continue that conversation. And so we obviously manage everything through Salesforce and then, um, uh, from there, we do all of our reporting and tracking back. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to get to was that idea that when you have a limited number of accounts and you know who all of these people are, it's not so much a moving a lead through the through the uh, funnel as much as how are you adding value and appropriately determining that value and tracking that and serving them the things that are fresh and new and, and, and ways that they can engage those. Or it's much more of sales and marketing sitting together, figuring out ways to engage the person with relevant things rather than like the classic, you know, pulling someone through a funnel that just doesn't, doesn't really make sense. No, you're right. So we, um, every month, the first Monday of every month, we actually have all of our marketing leaders and our sales leaders get together on just one video call 
And the goal of that video call is the marketing leaders basically take them through what they did this last month and what they're going to be doing this month. So the idea is to help the sales leaders in the field know what's coming, right? Now, some things obviously may be bigger that we want them to understand it's coming over the next two or three months, right? Or if we're launching a campaign that'll be running over the next four to six months, you know, here's what you need to know. Here's what's going on. And the goal there was really, it wasn't, it was at first, I think the marketers thought it was more me trying to align them to sales. The reality was it was the other way around. I needed my sales teams to really kind of reinforce and participate in what marketing was actually doing in the space. And that's been real, that has been a huge help because it keeps everybody going in the same direction. And then from time to time, you know, there may be a sales leader that's like, Hey, I've got this challenge. Can you help me? And then our individual marketers that are, you know, designed out by product or whatever, they then will, you know, have their own offline meeting directed with those sales leaders to really kind of help them understand what are we going to be doing, right? Is this some kind of ABM opportunity? We jokingly here refer to those as IBM opportunities, individual based marketing versus account based. So, uh, you know, we need to go deal with a persona that we're struggling with and they will have their one-off meetings and out of that will produce content. And then the other marketers are able to leverage that really kind of across the business. Uh, for some of the challenges that they have right within their space. So anyway, it's been, it's been really good. And the team has bonded um, in doing that as well. And I think that's also been really good for our business. All right, let's get into the lightning round. Fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot. You don't know what's coming. You've never seen these questions, although you listen to the pod, so you might know a few of them. So I'll try to mix it up. Let's do it. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? What app do I use on my phone that is the most fun? So, all right, this is telling more about me then. I'm a Twitter guy, man. I love Twitter. I just don't read the comments. You never read the comments. Um, or just if you read them, just don't take them to heart. Nobody, uh, nobody would say that stuff to your face, so don't worry about it. I mean, you know, we have our newsletter that goes to 240,000 folks at, at for for missions and we get some wild responses but uh it's all right you know it's uh it's good stuff favorite uh one day getaway in atlanta favorite one day getaway in atlanta well we we do enjoy going up to the lake lake lanier here just north of the city is a wonderful place how about a uh, ad campaign that you've seen that you're envious of ooh i tell you I, this is we actually have a, an organization here in Atlanta called the Atlanta Mission. They're really the main, if you were to look at the main people here who work with the homeless across our city, it's them. Their marketing is as good as anything I have ever seen from anybody in that they are able to kind of create an emotion with somebody in a flash of a billboard or a simple story that they may do, whatever it is they have done a phenomenal job and in how they have grown and expanded their services. I have been very impressed Bet you weren't expecting that. I was not. That was great. How about a uh, favorite uh, podcast or book that you've listened to or read recently? Oh, podcast or book. Well, I must say this. I, uh, I, I do thoroughly uh, enjoy yours. 
Otherwise, I am more of a sports guy. I eat, drink, and sleep sports. Um, although, what was this most recent book I just read is the uh, the Extraordinary Leader. I apologize, I cannot remember the name, the author. I got you. Hold on. It was outstanding. So, uh, John Zinger. Zinger. I believe that is correct. It's funny. I can actually see the book across from my uh, across from my office here. <laughs> get to it. Um. Yeah, Extraordinary Leader by John Zinger. Yeah, we'll link it up in the show notes. Best advice for a first-time CMO or uh, or EVP like yourself? Yeah, you know, I'll say this, though, to the CMOs, because I I really learned so much listening um, to your people through your podcast. But, you know, I would just say that, listen, most people who are making decisions, and, and I've, I've watched marketers struggle sometimes because they've got this great idea they really understand how to execute on it, but they're not able to really kind of sell it through finance or sell it through engineering or sell it through technology. The other, the other decision makers, right, who are making the decision to say yes to this idea or yes to this, you know, large scale campaign. And I would just say, hey, listen, don't be scared of the numbers. Like when it's all said and done at the end of the day, man, we need, it's all about growing EBITDA, right, across all of our businesses. So don't be scared of the numbers. Put them out there for what you're going for, what you're shooting for, what you're wanting to do. We're all, we all make mistakes from time to time or, or do things that we didn't nail, but don't be afraid of the numbers. Measure, count, measure, and measure again. And that helps people make better business decisions for the next thing that you want to do. What question are you never asked that you wish you got asked more? Mm, that's really good. That's actually very good. You know, I think um, a lot of times when you're a sales leader, people can pigeonhole sales leaders into only thinking about their individual number. Does that make sense? Now, I, yes. I've been very fortunate um, that I've been able to kind of grow out of that stigma that kind of comes with sales leaders. And so one of the things though that I would say, and I lay this out there because I know there are sales leaders who also listen to your podcast, is, you know, be about the business always. If you focus on the big things, if you focus on the things that matter to your CFO, the things that matter to your CMO, the things that matter to your IT department and others, and you have conversations that are also beneficial in their world, they will not stick you into kind of that stigma that really unfortunately sometimes comes with sales leaders. And so, uh, so that's, uh, I would love the opportunity to speak to more sales leaders in the future to maybe help them kind of grow their careers. Uh, because it too often, once in sales, always in sales, and you're never really able to move outside uh, of that kind of vertical. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you're preaching. I mean, that's, you know, same way. I've definitely felt, felt, uh, felt similar things. Um, Chris, this has been awesome. We're so glad uh, that we, we finally got you on the pod. Anything uh, anything else to, to plug here? Go to adorant.com, A-D-E-R-A-N-T. Uh, anything else? No, nothing else. Listen, I really appreciate all that you guys do. and Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yep, talk soon. Yeah, take care, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. 
world-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.